0: Good morning. It is good to be with you. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We are in our second week preaching through the songs of Christmas that we find in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. Last week we had looked at Mary's song. This morning, we are looking at the Song of Zechariah. In Mark chapter 9, we read of a man who at one point cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a condition that we all bring to God at times. Lord, I truly believe help me in this place and time this this area where I I struggle to believe fully or I struggle to live based upon what I believe we believe God is love yet perhaps when you think of God it's of someone who's annoyed with you, bothered by you. We believe God is greater than anyone in anything, and yet at times we still fear what people can do, what circumstances may bring. We believe our eternity is with God forever, his kingdom, and yet we complain about what we don't have now. We believe God is wondrous. And yet there are days we just brush past him to get to what we want to do. We believe God has spoken. And... Yet we, we can gorge ourselves upon the ideas of this world and even our own thoughts. Lord, we believe. Help. Help our unbelief. Zechariah was a man like that. I mean, a man like us. He truly loved God. He believed God and yet he could still struggle in moments about what God said. Early in this chapter it tells us that Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth were a righteous couple that never had any children. Now they had become older people. And that dream and hope was long behind them. Yet an angel appeared to Zechariah and told him, your wife Elizabeth will have a son and you are to name him John. We see this in verses 15 to 17. The angel said of this coming child, he will be great before the Lord. prepared. And so the angel announced this son who we know as John the Baptist. Zechariah heard this. He knew it was an angel and yet he doubted. He responded, we're too old. And in verse 18 it says he didn't believe. And so the Zachariah in that moment was struck speechless. He was physically unable to talk. The angel said until these things actually came to pass. And so months later when Elizabeth finally did give birth and all the friends and family, they're all gathering around and the the moment for the naming of the child has come and and. And Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. And everyone says, there's no John in your family. He needs to be named after his father. And they were pressing on this. And so finally they go to Zechariah, and he asked for a tablet and he writes down, his name is John. And in that instant, his mouth was released. Speech returned and he gave this song which is our passage this morning. So Luke 1, beginning in verse 68, Zachariah's song. And think of these first words coming out of his mouth. At least nine months he hadn't been able to speak a word. And his tongue is released and he declares, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would cause your word to be meaningful to us in every way that you intend You who gave this word to us. You who brought us to your word and to yourself. Cause us to be people who believe in full. We need you in this. Be faithful to us for we need your faithfulness. So we cry out in the name of Jesus. Amen. zachariah learned to fully trust god which led him to praise god the two always go together our main point this morning god deserves our complete trust and constant praise complete trust constant praise That is what our God deserves from us. Now, this doesn't mean that we never have uncertainty, that we never have questions of what's going on or questions for God. Uh, We see that earlier in the chapter when the angel told Mary... That she would have a child. In verse 34, Mary asked, "How will this be since I am a virgin?" So there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions there. However, with all that Mary simply could not grasp, she still believed, she still trusted. for her response was, "Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me." According to your word. We can look at the situations with Zechariah and Mary and think they, they seem so much similar. Both are, are spoken to by an angel of something that just doesn't fit into how they think of possibilities, and yet we're told Zechariah did not believe. God knows what's in her heart, and, and Mary. Believed and trusted and submitted herself to it. That is what we're looking to be people who move more from Zechariah to what Mary was. But well, what does fully trusting God look like? It certainly is not a controversial declaration in a setting like this, we should trust God fully. We say amen and we want that. We openly say, Lord, help my unbelief. What does fully trusting God look like? Instead of doubting when faced with difficulty, we obey fully trust fully, obey fully. Interesting how that connects. And instead of wavering during uncertainty, we praise him continually. Our response is quick to lift up what we do know, what we can see, what we have experienced. We we preach to our own soul, so our soul is encouraged to praise the one who has shown himself to be trustworthy. And so Zechariah's song that burst forth when the Lord opened his mouth testifies not only to the events that were coming upon them, but testifying of why God does deserve our trust and our praise. So we'll be looking at this in, in three significant categories of why God deserves our trust and praise. And the first is that we trust and praise God because he takes his promises seriously. Verse 72 says that God made promises and that he remembers his covenants to show the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. God remembers what he had promised centuries before to Abraham, what he had promised through the prophets. God remembers what he said in that first promise when humanity rebelled in sin and the lord promised that he would send one that would crush the head of satan breaking the bonds of sin destroying the kingdom of evil that is a promise that god Gave It had been hanging out there and it had been repeated and reinforced. And God had given more specific and specific promises of how he would fulfill our need. And now he says, blessed be the Lord God for he has, his promise has visited us. For Mary's womb was full. Even in that moment, God was in flesh. Those who had hoped for God's help had never imagined or comprehended that God's help would be God personally visiting us. God not sending a man, raising up someone wise and strong, but God becoming flesh himself. That God, the person of God in his fullness would be the promise fulfilled. And believer, you can trust God fully. Because he personally visited you. You believe because the Lord himself sought you out. You believe. You only believe because the person of God persisted through all of your resistance. And then as you were stubborn, he continued. The person of God hunted you down and captured your heart and introduced himself to you, made himself known in all of your ignorance, all of your doubt. And God declared, I am here, and I died for you. That's how we trust him. And so we can praise him. And that trust can carry through when we struggle, when it's hard, when it doesn't seem to make sense whatever the uncertainty is, whatever the difficulty is, we can trust God who visited us. God who fulfills his promise. God who takes every promise seriously. We know he took serious the promise to come and save so we can trust the following promises given to the church of how God will be with us until the day he brings us home. We we know how seriously God has taken his promise for it, it involved Sending his son to be sacrificed. It involved God the Father pouring the wrath we deserve upon his son instead of us. It involved the son taking upon himself all of the filth of our sin and making it his own so that he could die and pay the price of it. We see how far God would go to save us, to fulfill his promise. And and so, people of God, while we live in a life and a, a body still groaning, we trust We praise, we trust fully, we praise constantly. The second reason for this in our passage, we trust and praise God because he has faithfully rescued us, building directly upon that he fulfills his promise. He is serious about promises and the promise is to rescue us. He delivers us in two ways we will see. First, he delivers us for the purpose of our enemies. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies for the hand of all who hate us. Now, People still misuse us, as you have discovered. But God turns God's hand, specifically, purposefully. God's and turns every misuse into good for us. Every time. And so we keep serving the Lord despite misuse because every misuse against us is piling up glory that we receive. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve without fear. How do we still Experientially feel as though we're at the mercy of our enemies. How do we still trust and praise because we know God who takes his promise seriously when he promises how all things work together, when he promises that suffering purifies suffering is used to give honor to him suffering is used to minister to others God promises that he sees and he works and we see how faithful he has been to promises and we trust those that we do not see in the full light yet now we think of our dear friends Sergey and Zoya, Lita and Philip, imprisoned, fleeing from their nation because they stand for the gospel, living in a place that's not their home, going through all that turmoil. And what do they immediately do as soon as they get to a place that's not their home? they start gathering other people to meet in Bible study and immediately begin working on planting a church. So even though day by day, their hearts are filled with despairing and, and trauma, and yet at the same time, but Lord, we, we must serve the gospel wherever we are. And, and those believers that we know and love, they, they're just regular believers like us. We can serve without fear whatever is happening. Because God is faithful to deliver us from our enemies, including the great enemy of sin and death. For God delivers us from the judgment and guilt of our sin. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of sins. All of your offenses, they're gone. Every offense against God, which were known and numbered, They're gone. All of your guilt, all of your guilt is gone. The stain has been washed. It's not like those stains, you think you get it out until it dries. This stain, washed, by the blood of the Son of God. And so, it—what what everyone else promises, the miracle clean, Jesus completely forever. There is no guilt to be found for Christ himself took it and destroyed it and cast it as far as east is west so that it cannot be found. Believer, you can trust and praise God in all struggles and uncertainty for when you brought to Jesus with trembling hands the ugliness of your sin, and open for him to see what he already knew the foulness of your heart when you brought all of that before Jesus he responded as we've already sung you are mine forevermore that you child Are cleansed. Ah, the enemy, he still accuses you of those things. But Jesus never does. Hear that? Jesus never accuses. Those whom he has delivered. He loves you dearly, so he convicts you to keep you from continuing. He convicts to cleanse. He never accuses. Indeed, what does the Bible tell us? 1 John 2, 1. We are told, we are, we are saved so we would not sin. But if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so while we live in this embattled world, we also live in trust. We also live with praise. And the final reason we see We'll say the third. There are many reasons to trust and praise. We never get to the final one. We trust and praise God because he so wonderfully uses us. Zachariah sang saying for the joy of how... His son would be used by God. Verses 76 and 77. Can you not hear the voice trembling? This old man thinking he would never have a son. His voice, after all of this praise, declaring, And you, child will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now if you are thinking, that was John the Baptist. His birth was a miracle. So, uh, of course, he is giving praise for what John the Baptist would do. He's a Bible person. He was a miracle. As are each of you believers, you didn't back into your salvation. You did not earn it. You did not work it. You did not decide it. You did nothing but respond to the miracle of the risen Jesus Christ coming to you, giving you a birth, cleansing your soul. You are all miracle. And you are a Bible person. Every promise given, God knowing you, seeing your face long before you were born. In every promise, in the heart and mind of God, he was declaring your name. This, what I'm saying, this is true for you. If you think I could never be used like people in the Bible, Matthew eleven eleven, This is what Jesus said. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's quite a statement. Yet, only if the Bible says it could we believe this or you would be calling me a heretic. If I heard someone, I would call them a heretic, except the Bible has said it. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." Now, let's understand what's being said so we don't go out as little heretics. (laughs) We're good at that. Grab that phrase and run! John the Baptist was the greatest of all prophets because he was the one who actually physically pointed to Jesus and said, that one, he is the Christ. All other prophets spoke about the one to come. John got to be the one that said, he's here, that guy there, it's him. Greatest doesn't mean best. It's role and place. So he was the greatest of the prophets for he personally pointed to who was the one promised. How how could the least? And so I'm going to guess that includes you. Let's just say this congregation, we're good at leastness. We're the congregation of least. Not many of you are getting White House invitations or signing seven hundred million dollar contracts. Neither are your children. Or I'd have sent you a Christmas card already delivered it, put it in your box myself. We're, we're just the least. Least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How could that be? We can even in our leastness, we, we tell people how they can be saved forever. We tell them what Jesus did. God in flesh became a man, lived a perfect life, never sinned. And in the commitment of his heart and love, he went to the cross and offered his life as a sacrificial payment taking our guilt, paying the price of our sin, dying and paying in full for the guilt of our sin, and that body dead was raised by his own authority and power, and he has ascended, and he rules over death and hell, and Satan, and sin, and all else you can add to it. And those he saves, he saves forever. And how can you get such a thing? How could it be possible you simply acknowledge the reality that you're a sinner who needs God? And those who truly call to him for the forgiveness of sin, his answer every time is, Yes. There's nothing greater to say, to believe, to share, to represent, to example. And so the least are greater. Because everyone here, even if you can't respond to questions or people make it difficult, Jesus died my sin. Jesus forgave me. You can tell them what is true of what Jesus did when he visited you. So believer, where do you struggle? How do you struggle to fully trust God or praise him? Is it Struggling to fully trust he is always near, always right here? Do you struggle that his purposes really are intentional, wondrous, pointed at you for your eternal good? Do you struggle to really believe, as the prophet Zephaniah says, that God rejoices in you and sings over you? Do you struggle at times to believe that great commandment living is is worth it? God, whole heart, whole life, every thought, word, and deed. Do you struggle to really believe that the curse and the bondage of sin are broken and that sin does not have to rule. No sin has to rule. In fact, no sin does. You can chase after it and submit yourself to it. It doesn't rule anymore. Do you struggle to believe you need not fear? Looking at a fearful world that you need not fear it as those things that are difficult for us. We remember, ah, but Christ, he visited me. Christ, I know, he rescued me. Christ, though I may not always see it, I believe He will use me. And so, people of God, we praise him without ceasing and we serve him without distraction. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your Spirit, whom you've already sent to abide in us, that he he would speak in your behalf on the behalf of your son spirits speak loudly deeply persistently of what is true that we would live by faith not sight not experience knowing that faith will become sight and experience Lord, we we need you to confirm these things where in this moment we're wavering or where we know we're not fully in alignment with you, where we have drifted or where we're half-hearted. Lord, help us in these places in this day for we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.